Thank you for joining us for the U-City Sermon of the Week. We invite you to partner with us through giving at ucitychurch.com slash give. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for updates, as well as our weekly live stream services on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here today. My name is Mark Eisenhower, just in case you didn't know me. And uh, I'm glad we're going to continue in our series, This is Jesus, Name Above All Names. Before we do, listen, a really important question i got to ask you, all right? You ready? All right. So who here preferred to sit in the back of the classroom at school, right, when you were in school? Maybe you still sit. Yeah, I mean, quite a few hands, right? Because, listen, there were back row students, there were front row students, and there were all those in the middle who, either, who didn't care where they sat or they were just too late to class to actually choose their seat, Right? And so, so I was a back row student, right? And, and by choice, but probably on necessity too, because when you're tall, you kind of live in a different world, especially if you've got, you got a big head like mine, you kind of obstruct the other student's ability to learn. And so you kind of have to sit in the back, right? You know, at the same time, I, I, I like to sit in the back because I could, I could doodle, you know, I could kind of daydream, I could take a nap if I needed to, right? I, could, I could pass notes, you know, but, but all back row students, their worst fear was that, you know, that call, hey, Mr. Eisenhower, can you help us up here, right? And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, I, what, what was the question, right? That was the nightmare to get called on the back. And see, it's funny, as a dad now, though, I actually want my daughter to be a front row student, right? Because they were usually better students than I were. They got better grades, paid more attention to the teacher. They stayed out of trouble. And so I'm thinking, man, that, that, that's, that's what I want for her, right? And it probably won't be too hard in homeschool, right? Because we're just going to have one row, you know, so she's going to have to sit in the front row, so... Anyway, anyways, so listen, I know the world isn't a classroom, all right? But I think in relation to God, there are front row people and then there are back row people, all right? And so so the front row people are those who are nearest to God. They want to be close to God. They want to learn from God. They want to obey God. They want to please God. Whereas the back row people... They're probably pretty far from God, right? And they, they tend not to do so well with God's rules. They, don't, they kind of want to do their own thing, right? And so some of those back row people meant that they want to be as far from God as humanly possible. Others, nah, they, they'd like to get to the front row. They just don't know how to. And you have others who are thinking, man, God probably wouldn't even want me in the front row, right? Well, see, that's not true because God wants everyone in that front row. He wants everyone near to him. In fact, that's why Jesus came, because if you look at Jesus, he spent a lot of time in the back row with the back row students. In fact, it wasn't that he loved the back row more than the front row, or that he didn't spend time with the front row. No, no, no. He just went to the back to help them find their way to the front, right? He wanted them to be near to God. He wanted to be discipled with the front row. So Jesus, he wanted both the back row, he wanted the front row. He wanted the back row to be near to God, and he wanted that front row not to forget where he found them, in the back row too. And so we're actually going to look at this truth today in the Gospel of Mark. And before we do, let's just pray and let's ask the Lord to lead us and guide us this morning. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you, God, and thank you. Thank you for everyone here that's gathered, everyone watching online, God. And our heart is just to hear from you this morning, God. So we want to dedicate this time to you. Would you speak to us through your word? Um, God, God, be clear to us. It can challenge, convict, encourage a heart where it needs to be challenged, convicted, and encouraged, God. We, we just we want to dedicate this time to you. So would you speak loudly to us through your living and active word as we come before you today, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, kind of pick off where we were left off last week, all right? And so I want to give us a kind of a little context to kind of think about the back row, front row thing a little bit more, all right? So, so when Jesus came, at that time, man, there was this great distance between the back row and the front row, probably bigger it's ever been, all right? And so a lot of it centered on God's law, and see, God's law is perfect, right? It wasn't, the problem wasn't God's law. 
It was just that, that some people were actually better at obeying God's law than the back row people, right? The religious were a lot better at obeying than the back row people. And, and though their, their obedience was imperfect, they were so dedicated to that law, they actually added a lot of their own commands on top of God's commands, right? Which started with good intentions. They kind of wanted to build a fence around God's law, not to, to break one of his commands. But at the same time, there were so many commands, both God and man's, man, that, 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 that the distance between the back row and God got so wide, and that back row was more and more hopeless they could ever kind of bridge that gap. And then Jesus came. And so with kind of that in mind, I will begin to read here in verse 13. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, so Jesus always seemed to draw a crowd, didn't he? We saw when he was baptizing folks with his disciples at the Jordan River. We saw it last week at Peter's house. It was just packed out where he healed the paralytic. And we see it again at the seashore. But again, what is he doing there, right? He's teaching. He is preaching the word. He's telling people about God and the kingdom of God and salvation and Messiah, right? And so, yes, the miracles were important, but at the same time, it was his words, man, that just attracted people, that fed people, right? That renewed people's minds, that cleansed their souls, that, that awakened their hearts. And see, his words, people had not heard words like these before. These were powerful words. These were authoritative words. These were the words of life. And it makes sense because he has all authority. He is all powerful. He, he is the author of life, right? And so when, people, when he spoke, people were like, who is this man? No one has ever spoke like this before, right? So crowds just flocked to Jesus. And so he's kind of heading back from the seashore into Capernaum, right, where he was at last week. He sees his next disciple and probably his most unlikely one. And so you read in verse 14 there. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, kind of just picture this in your mind here, because Jesus is mobbed, right, by, by this crowd. They're kind of reaching out. They're clamoring for him. They're, they're trying to ask him things, all these kind of things. And he just kind of stops. And with these compassionate eyes, he just becomes fixed on the one man that wasn't part of that crowd, on the one man that everyone loved to hate. And that was Levi, the tax collector, or we know him as Matthew, the tax collector, all right? And so, so, look, Matthew was in the wrong profession. And so you might know about tax collecting, but here, let's get on the same page here, because the tax collector was not someone who worked for H&R Block and helped people with their taxes, all right? No, 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 no. No, he was employed by the Roman government who occupied Israel, all right? So at the same time, this man was basically paid to help Rome oppress the Jewish people, right? So he was a traitor to his people. And so you think about this, because, because tax day is eight days away, so don't forget to file your taxes. So let's, let's talk about the tax system a little bit, all right? So listen, back then, Rome would come in, and then they would parcel off all these different districts in Israel. And then they would assess a fixed tax amount for each of these districts. Then they would sell the, 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 the right to collect the taxes from the highest Jewish bidder at that time. And so then that guy would have the responsibility to pay all those taxes back, the fixed tax amount by the end of the year. But they could keep anything they wanted to on top of that, right? So you can see how that opened the door to corruption, right? And yeah, the tax collector could and they did put extra taxes on top of people. They extorted money from people. And that's how they became rich. That's how they lined their pockets, right? But, but here's what made matters worse. 
You say someone couldn't pay that additional taxes, well then that loan person, that tax collector would then offer them a loan with these crazy high interest rates. So that, that would kind of lead to debt and financial slavery, you know, kind of, kind of like the payday loans of today, right? And so if you're kind of looking through this like a modern lens right here, so the tax collector was like this. He was kind of like a mix of, kind of like a mafia type enforcer, kind of then with the integrity of a modern day telescammer. Right, like the worst. I mean, people hated these guys, right? Just kind of, just greedily took advantage of people for money. And so at the end of the day, man, this guy was excommunicated from almost all aspects of Jewish life, even the synagogue. It was illegal for him to go into a synagogue. Now, that's how deep it was, right? And yeah, because for them, because of his, his chosen profession, and yes, it was a chosen profession, that meant he renounced God. And so you're looking at Levi, you're looking at Matthew here. This man was probably one of the, if not the most hated man in Capernaum at that time. And yet Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples. It's kind of crazy, right? Because if you think about the other disciples, their point of view, when they heard that follow me, they're probably in stunned silence. And then and probably confusion a little bit and then disgust. Like, no, 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 not this guy, Jesus. Especially, it was especially from the four fishermen, right? From Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Because oftentimes fishermen were the ones who suffered the most under the corruption of the tax man. Right, because they, were, they had these additional taxes on these fish they brought in, on the imports, on the produce, right? And so when they walked by there, they're thinking, man, this guy deserves the wrath of God. And so when Jesus stopped, oh man, I bet they were thinking, man, he's about to unload on Matthew, right? Kind of like you get your phone out, you're going to Facebook Live this thing, like this guy's about to get it. But instead, Jesus says, follow me. He calls Matthew up from the back row to the front row. You see that? And you're thinking, Why? Why would he do that? Why would he want the man that nobody else wanted? Well, one, because in spite of who he was, in spite of what he had done, Jesus still loved Matthew. He wanted redemption for him, not condemnation. And two, he could see who Matthew would become with him. And that, that, that's just what Jesus did. Because you remember what, how Jesus actually changed Peter's name from Simon. You remember that? Look at John 1:42. He says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. See, Jesus didn't see a Simon. He saw Peter. And yes, Peter was in perfection. Yes, he put his foot in his mouth all the time, but yet he saw a man who'd be foundational to his church. He saw a man who'd become an important leader. He saw a man with profound faith. And he saw in Peter what nobody else saw, not even Peter. He saw in Peter what he would become with Jesus. And that's what he did with Levi. Because with Levi, his name becomes Matthew, all right? So Matthew means gift of God, all right? And so Jesus could see the gift that Matthew would be to this church. He, he could see in this man that he would become an important leader, that he was a tax collector who was condemned, treated with contempt and disdain and disgust, yet he would become an evangelist. And he would become the man who would write, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Matthew, who would lead untold numbers of people to faith in Messiah, to faith in Jesus, he saw in Matthew what nobody else could. He saw in Matthew what he would become with him. And see, that's what he does with you. He sees in you what you can't see in yourself. N not to exalt you, not to make you a super saint or a star of anyone else. No, no, no. He sees who he created you to be, who he intended for you to be when he knit you together in your mother's womb. He sees what evil has tried to get you off the path that he's called you to. He can see your purpose, your plan. He sees who he created you to be. And he sees who you become with him. And I will transform you with his love and his mercy and his truth. 
he sees beyond what the world sees in you. And see, I got to see this truth come, come to life so much at the orphanage. I actually lived at in Brazil, right? Because, listen, we take kids in off the streets. Now, I'm saying street kids. I mean, kids coming in beggars, drug runners, drug addicts. Some are prostitutes, pickpockets. I mean, abandoned, neglected, abused, assaulted, whatever you want to say. These kids were back row kids. Yet they'd come home into a place that would be love them and care for them. They would nurture them. They would embrace them. Wow, God, God did the incredible. God transformed these kids. Like with this little girl. Look at this little girl behind me. Her name is Karini, all right? So Karini came in when she was about five years old, all right? Lived on the street with her three brothers. And this girl came in rough. Because you see, you see those things on her feet right there, those kind of black and white spots? Those are called bichu de pace. Right, so in Portuguese, that means bug of the foot. And because she didn't have shoes, she didn't have socks, she didn't have sandals, she'd walk on the dirt. And so these little bugs would kind of drill their way through the bottom of her feet and then plant eggs. And they would be excruciatingly painful. And when I had some, you couldn't walk on that side of your foot. She came in with more than 150 bichu de pace. The same time she came in malnourished, ill, filthy, in rags, and with lice. This girl came in rough, man. But then all of a sudden, these, these house moms, they would bring her in. They'd bathe her and feed her and give her new clothes. They'd take care of her. They'd, they'd literally adopted her as one of the 